Some movies are highbrow, some movies are lowbrow. Welcome to Highbrow Lowbrow. Each week we pick a theme, then talk about two movies that fit that theme, one highbrow, one lowbrow. Except this week, because we are taking some time off for the holidays. But in the spirit of giving, we have a white elephant gift for our listeners. It's a re-release of our Tombstone episode. This is a debate episode, which is a format we don't do anymore, but Josh and I always enjoyed this one because it's a movie that kind of broke our brains a bit, and it brought us to the term quantum brow. So, happy holidays to each of you, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, it's the highbrow low... Oh, fuck me in the dick! Okay. <laughs> Okay, we're not doing that. I have the I have the I have the old spiel. I can at least start with that. Can we do it? Yeah, you do it. All right, cool. Welcome to Highbrow Lowbrow. I'm your host, Josh Kirschenbaum. I'm Cooper Gagan. I am also a host. Yeah, I, I want it to be known that I am also a host. I'm not a permanent guest on this show. <laughs> I was because really, I feel like I started out saying like I'm I'm one of your hosts, and that just felt so awkward. It's like when you see a movie trail that says from a producer of a movie you like. You yeah, know? from it, the mind of. Right, which clearly they just like said like gave him, you know, $40,000 and said, can we use your name? Yeah, can we use your mind? Can right. we can we plumb your mind, M. Knight? Can we claim that this is from your mind? This could have come from your mind, M. Knight, right? Yeah. Uh, Cooper is a host and I am a host. We are hosts. Yeah. Uh, each week we pick a topic and talk about two movies that fit that topic, one highbrow, one lowbrow. Uh, that's normally what we do. Sometimes we mix things up a bit and that's what we're doing this week with a debate episode. So debate episodes, very special episode. We watch one movie and we try to figure out together whether it is highbrow or lowbrow. Exactly. And it's really, I, I like this one because I think, especially comparing this one to the last one, the last one we did was Moulin Rouge. And this week, what is the movie, Cooper? The movie is Tombstone. But before we get to Tombstone, I have something I want to ask you about. Okay. I have do. this, I have an idea that I think will solve a lot of problems for our podcast. Okay. So. We've been talking a lot about the show Billions, right? And how we lose a lot of our great actors to Billions, how it's a big shame. And it's just, it's upsetting that this, this entity has taken all these great actors from us. And then we've also talked about Zendaya, who is a horrible actress and is a plague upon us. What if we combined the evil of Billions and the evil of Zendaya to neutralize each other by getting her cast in billions so that she is expelled from the film sphere. Oh, oh my. Uh, okay, let me fight. So for the record, I don't have the same frothing hatred for Zendaya that you do. Um, I will also say that I also came prepared with yeah, a billions I, thing, but and I, and I thought, okay, we're going to do the plot, and then as soon as we're ready to talk about the movie, drop your billions take. I think, didn't think you'd beat me to the punch You just that got fast scooped, motherfucker. With billions take. I, uh, man... That's because my take was we should talk about what the use of a show like Billions is to the culture. And yeah, no, it is like a hell that we banish our bad <laughs> actors to. And the thing is, okay, I, I have I've only heard good things about the show Billions. I want to be this, make this clear because I want to be a drama writer, and the writers of Billions are very good. And it's a show that I've heard is very good, but it's a show that I don't watch. And when you watch a show that doesn't have a huge cultural like impact, and or, or isn't like up on Twitter and Facebook and stuff, and. Uh, it has a lot of actors. You like those actors are gone for you for a, for a long time. And so we missed Yamati. You know, we miss uh, Damian Lewis and all the other people we missed in the other episodes. So yeah, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. We got to bring him back. And uh, we'll trade. We'll do a trade. I think that's a, not a bad idea. Like, I, it should be for actors, like for you, actors you don't like. And I was thinking, or for actors who like, like this movie Tombstone is full of, who are just leathered, old, like great 
fucking dudes. Oh, it's like a stud ranch for great American character actors? Right. Like, like Michael Bain is in Tombstone. He's very good in Tombstone. He doesn't seem to be... I, maybe he's on a TV show that I'm not aware of, but like what... Billions should really be like a rehabilitation plant for actors who haven't quite don't aren't in like a phase of their career, but we still like. And this works even better for me because it also means that Zendaya will be cursed to just be constantly <laughs> hanging out in Crafty with Sam Elliott and Michael Bain. Just yeah, what would she have to say? You know, I, and the Ghost of Powers Booth. Uh, the Ghost of Powers Booth must be a real pro with that kind of thing. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, what I are you that. saying, Josh? I don't know. I was trying to say nice things about Powers Boost. Yeah, and he's then great. I, I defaulted to it, and then you said the ghost of because I forgot, keep forgetting that he died. Um, yeah. Because Powers Booth is the kind of like great character actor you kind of forget about until you see them because legends never die. Right, exactly. It's Sandlot rules for Powers Booth. Um, Cooper, uh, tell us about Tombstone. What is Tombstone? Oh, right, the plot of the film Tombstone. And okay. what, what is it? What is the movie? It's a movie that came. It's a western. It's a it's a nine nine. It's a nineties western. It was, I think it was 95 because it came out the same era, like within a year of Wyatt Earp, the movie. Yeah. It was one of those kind of things where yeah, two movies a, come out. It was a parallel development situation. Okay, so the plot is the uh, Earp brothers led by Wyatt and two brothers, one of whom is blah 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 Earp, and then the other one's like Jimbo Earp. I forget the other one. There's three Earps and a bunch of wives. They have There's three Earps and I'm guessing an equal amount of Earp wives, I think. And they all come into a new town. They're all famous lawmen. They come to the town. They don't want to be lawmen. They decide to start various businesses. However, there's a gang called the Cowboys, basically. Mm -hmm. And they don't like the Earps because they heard about them being lawmen. Everyone, everyone wants to make them lawmen. And things come to a head. Eventually, there's a shootout. And the Earps have to get redeputized. And they go to full-out war with the Cowboys. And it ends in a tragedy. Yeah, that's what the movie's about. That's basically what happens in the movie. I mean, yeah. there's a little bit more going on like well, on the plot level, but not a lot. Well, that's the thing, and that's where I, I, I disagree, because I think, and that's, I think, where the highbrow, lowbrow comes in, because I think if you describe this movie, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a lowbrow movie. Yeah, it's two, you know, tight two hours-ish, um, you know, a big action movie, a lot of dudes, a lot of, like, like that basic kind of revenge plot. Um but, like, when you dig into it, like, the surface-level description is that easy, but, like, the second-level description of the movie, there's so many little weird subplots going on. There's so many characters doing, like, character things. There's okay. so much melodrama and, like, weird commentary on, like, art. So here's right out the gate. I, I will – there are a lot of secondary things going on, but I feel like none of them pay off. <laughs> They're almost all abandoned midway through, especially – Billy Zane's character disappears and then comes back <laughs> to die as if, and people act like we're supposed to care about that. That's like classic Billy Zane, though. That's yeah. Like Zane classic. There's, it feels like there's a, maybe there's a bunch of stuff on the cutting room floor of this, which is crazy because that would make this movie 17 I, hours no, long. Because I watched the director's cut. There, oh, God. It is, it was 130 minutes. More, was there more Billy Zane? Uh, I do not, I think it was about the same. Like he shows up with his sister, there's the acting. There's a little bit of them hanging out in the bars and stuff, and then he, you know, he dies at the end. Was there more of the wife? Uh, I think there's a lot of the wife. That may have been why I, for the viewers, this started out as a lowbrow pick. It was this is going to be Tombstone versus uh, Power of the Dog? Yeah, as the highbrow. Well, I think in our original original show notes, it was going to be Tombstone Unforgiven. Right, and we were we were pivoting towards Power of the Dog, which fantastic movie by the way. Yeah, and um, Unforgiven, a perfect movie in my opinion. Right, both really interesting movies that I think we should go back to. Uh, but then we watched Tombstone, and I, I texted you and like I don't know that, I don't know that this movie is lowbrow because it's like an hour of of melodrama between Wyatt Earp and this 
younger actress he's meeting and his wife, who is addicted to laudanum. I think laudanum automatically highbrow. Okay, the laudanum (laughs) thing reminds me. Yeah, laudanum is highbrow. I guess it's highbrow opium. It is actually. It actually is highbrow opium. It's opium that kind of was made fancy for housewives. But yeah, that actually that reminds me of how we'll get into it later. But this movie is exactly Deadwood because even in Deadwood, there is a housewife who is addicted to opium like that. It also shares a couple of notable Deadwood actors, mostly Powers Booth. But um, big one. Yeah, me going watching this movie at the same time as you, I was just thinking, I legitimately do not know what the hell this thing is. I don't have a strong take of it being my my take I came in with a strong take of it being lowbrow because I think of it as kind of like a kind of a bro dad classic. Right? I think I think culturally it has found itself in a lowbrow area. Like in yeah. like like I think where what, however it started out, it now it replays on TNT constantly. It's a very like you said, it's a very like bro classic. Yeah. Did you called it something? You said it was like bad fan theory or something? Oh yeah, bad th- I I think that's what it's called. Basically, yeah, just this thing of um fans who are coming to a thing for the wrong reason. Like, I think the big right. one the big two were like shitty bros who like Tarantino. Or um um I think it really co- coalesced around the Sopranos when there were a lot of fans oh, of the okay. show who liked Tony. Who not only found him likable, but like were on his side, like who saw that show as this poor guy, he's just trying to be a dad, and his wife's on his case, and his son sucks. And right. He's right. Yeah. So son pe- does suck, but. people, also people who think that Don Draper is on his face is cool and not in a tragic way. He's just cool, which he, it, it, that's a much more complicated right. situation. I think more accurately, it's like Batman criticisms, like a, a mode of criticism of movies and TV that you're like really grappling with the the, the fan reaction to it. And like using that kind of against it. Yeah. So my 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 reasoning was, I guess, tangentially related to that, but not exactly that. It's mostly just that it seems like people who are bros and who are not exactly into film and who like other lowbrow things love this movie for some reason. And what's the deal with that? Why is that? What? Because then you were texting me. You were saying yeah. this. There's a. They're quoting. They're saying a bunch of Latin and they're quoting Shakespeare. Why do you think this is lowbrow? There, I was like, I can't explain it to you, but every person I know who likes lowbrow movies loves this movie. <laughs> there is an entire conversation in this movie where they just speak in Latin with no subtitles, and it's and it's like it's insane. It's the two. It's and they're not like. The movie's not laughing at those characters. No, but it's, it's Doc Holliday who is the breakout of this movie. Yeah, I mean, and Doc Holliday is a great character, played played very well by Val Kilmer. But I'll also say, I don't that I oh my god, this is breaking my brain trying to break this down. But that scene itself, I guess, is highbrow because it's not meeting you halfway. But it's also maybe it's just that it's poorly written. But also, I think it has. I, I think it's highbrow because it's doing that without the the subtitles, but it kind of reminds me of just when, like, you ever have a friend in college who, like, acts deep and knows, like, two quotes from Shakespeare? Yes. Right. It kind of reminded me of that a that's, little bit. That's what I was just like about that to energy. say. It feels like a kid wearing his dad's suit yeah. and trying to talk fancy, just affecting fanciness without actually understanding what that means or having something to say. Right. It's like in a, in a, in a Michael Bay movie where you know, like something just explodes or like the president like shoots a bad guy and he says like, heavy lies the head that wears the crown, like not knowing right. what that's from or what matters about it. You know what other scene is a perfect example of that is when Wyatt Earp loses his shit and just screams no for five minutes while <laughs> plugging people with a shotgun. It's because these writers and director had seen movies in which people had big turning moments where they finally lose it and they have to get their revenge and they knew there was dialogue then, but they didn't really process what any of that dialogue was. And they're like, 
no. It's basically them saying no, right? I, I actually have that in my notes. I, so, you know, all my notes, it's like, you know, what are some subjects I want to talk about? What are some actors I want to talk about? And then I just have no in all caps and bold because that's it, that's it's all wild. he says. And it's it. you think it'll be like a, a, a speech or like something, and it's just in the middle of a gunfight in the river. The, the guy doesn't ask him anything. He is not asked a yes or no question. He is running. I don't believe no, he's he, just saying no to the idea of being pinned down. He's but at that point he's already he's pinned down. He gets up. He shoots him out. He's in the river. Walks up to a guy who's shooting at him and keeps missing, and then just yells no slowly, not yeah. in slow motion. The film is running at full speed, I believe. <laughs> yeah, he yells it slowly. Yeah, and then he shoots the guy. Yeah, no, it's it's really <laughs> it's really insanely crazy. And I want to I want to be clear, kind of about the kind of craziness we're talking about, because there's some movies that are like I call this the Nick Cage special that are like really truly batshit crazy. You right. know, this like, movie. It, I don't know if this is Nick Cage crazy. No, I think it's crazier in the sense that it's hard, so hard to pin down, and it's doing so many things. Uh, and it it's just crazy that. It, it's it's hard to really grasp it all if you're really trying to like get a handle on it. But I because it's all smoke and mirrors, it's just the it's kind of the surface level patina of <laughs> what a fancy movie kind of it. Like the scene of them doing the Latin is exactly it because it's them saying things fancy, but you literally cannot understand what they're saying. There's literally no content to what they're saying. Right. Because the, there's no subtitles. Because all you need to know is that Doc Holliday is a fancy man. That yeah. Ringo, right? He's talking to Ringo then? That's Michael Bain? Ringo, yeah. Yeah. When Ringo is a, a fancy man, Ringo being the, like, not the head of the bad guys, but, like, the head enforcer character, you see that a lot? Yeah. Um, And that he's also fancy, and they're, like, kind of, like, two sides of the same coin, but, like, Doc Holliday's a little better. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, really kind of what the movie excels is not the quite the word, but like what's so interesting about the movie is it can kind of work on those two levels yeah well another example i thought of it working on maybe i don't know if it's working on those two levels but it is operating on those two levels simultaneously is the theater scene oh yeah so where you're interesting. seeing it's dr faust it's shakespeare it's juggling that's fun but right. also during this all this kind of highfalutin the capital t theater their mystery science theater it's cowboy mystery science theater right one guy says frederick fucking chopin this movie just always undercuts any serious moment with a bunch of little jokes or just but not even joke jokes but just kind of the cow the cowboy the little cowboys the gang the cowboys mm -hmm. just saying this is stupid it's stupid that you guys are fancy and so it has it both ways. Sorry. I know. No, you're right. I think that, but I think that's so like, I think there's two things that scene that scene's doing kind of one. I mean, it, there is a very highbrow, um, like method, like mode of, of, uh, a, a piece of art talking about art. I mean, the big one obviously is like, is Hamlet putting on a play to show his uncle, make his uncle, uh, so sad about the fact that he killed his brother. Right. right? And then so you have the play about the plot of Hamlet within Hamlet while the characters are commenting on it. Mm -hmm. That's like the gold standard of that. Right. And you, this is like not bad. No. Because this is not Hamlet. And that's not an insult to Tombstone because nothing is Hamlet. Because the characters to Tombstone are not actually engaging with the art in any way. They're just talking about how it's stupid and they're bored. But it's, I think that's really interesting, I will say. I think the, the fact that is you it? have oh, actors that the movie – I'm not going to say grinds to a halt because I, I did enjoy the scene. But the movie stops the plot. So that two people, a bunch of characters who you haven't seen before, and only one of them actually matters, the, the actress. Yeah. Uh, and she, and we can get into, she doesn't really matter <laughs> long term, but yeah. Um, 
they go on stage, they perform like, like yeah, Dr. Faust, they do all these different stuff. And then the whole time it's just the characters of the movie, like kind of shit talking it. It's like, it almost feels like the movie itself is commenting on the movie itself. Like that it is it, this thing of like, it, it, that it, it, it makes these overtures towards faintiness, but always ends up back in the dirt. So, so oh, so you're saying that scene is a microcosm of this entire movie, which is it wants it wants to seem like it's a historical epic, but it's actually just a bro movie. It's a dad movie. I, that's what I. Th- that's why this movie is so successful. <laughs> that's why this movie is perfect for those kind of people. Is that it makes you? It's the same. It's the same appeal that conspiracy theories have to conspiracy theory people. I did not expect that turn. Go on. Which is that. The thing about conspiracy theory is that it allows dumb people to feel smart because they know somebody other people don't know. This movie allows people who just want to see somebody screaming no and shooting people with a shotgun feel like they're watching a historical <laughs> epic. And I think that's something I want to I want to lean into if I could pivot a little bit because the the thing I really noted first was that the movie is doing a lot of um, uh, making a big show of how historically accurate it is. I think. Um, it's doing a lot of, there's a lot of scene, you know, like the, the town mayor who has like 40 jobs and it's like, Oh, well I'm the only guy in town you buy stuff from like little, like, um, yeah, yeah, little, yeah. like things like that. The laudanum, obviously. And like, the actually I, I did very, very cursory Wikipedia diving mm-hmm. and the events of the, I mean, the events of the okay crowd shootout happened pretty much how they happened mm-hmm. in real life. And the kind of the, the ending, the, like the. The third act stuff with how the 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 murder the, montage. the herbs the herbs kind of squaring each other in and then yeah. going after the cowboys that all did happen mm-hmm. I don't know exactly like that but in essentially that order yeah it definitely feels like they are they are doing work to present themselves as a historically accurate movie I think obviously they're probably like sensationalizing things I mean the entire idea of the old west it's kind of disputed now how much that most of it is probably just made up for stories and that's and that's interesting yeah, and good and, and, and stories are good yeah and it's a constant whenever I look up these old gunfighters it's a constant recurring fact that they were never really in as many gunfights as they said it's usually I think Doc Holliday maybe killed two guys and they save his 20 throughout the history of these gunfighter figures is that they never really were in that many gunfights gunfights weren't as much of a thing even or at least like duels. Right. Yeah. I mean, because why would, I mean, why would you duel someone ever? Actually, I do have a little talking point about that. Please do. Okay. So, okay. So, you know, the <laughs> idea, the idea of the old West duel, you're sitting, you're in the main street, you're looking mm-hmm. across from each other and you're kind of hovering your hands over your guns. And you're waiting to see who draws first. Yeah. Is the idea behind that, that the person who draws first is attacking in the legal sense. So the other person is killing in self-defense. Is that the whole reason for all of that? I don't know. It seems like drawing first would always make you give you the advantage, right? There's right. no reason not to draw first. But in those scenes, it the goal is always to draw second. Is it like a pride thing? Like I think I'm I think I'm better than you, so I can draw second and still beat you. It's possibly I don't know. My my theory, I guess this is kind of a bad faith question because my theory is just that it makes you legally defending yourself so it's like you can legally kill them oh so it's a cost benefit of how much do i think i can win like like will i live if i go second even though no i don't know i'll be honest it's kind of breaking my brain no (laughs) it's basically like okay it's a josh i want to beat i want to beat you up as i often do yeah but i don't want to get sued by you so I just yell at you and say mean things to you until you attack me and then I hit you in self-defense. I mean, I think that's the idea of what's happening in these gunfights. I guess it really doesn't make any sense. I will I will say I think 
I've seen a lot of Westerns. I haven't seen like a ton of them. I don't think I've ever hit that second tier of just like, you know, a classic like Saturday afternoon odor or whatever, but I've seen like those are a lot of spaghetti Westerns. I've seen like some of the like Rio Bravo and high noon and you don't really get those kind of duels in there. Well, high noon is about a duel. It's about, um, um, was it not about a duel? No, I haven't Hainun seen is, High Noon in a while. High Noon is the same as uh, Rio Bravo, basically. Mm. It's um, he's a sheriff, and the bandits are coming to town. Right. And oh he, yeah, yeah. He's going around getting people to help him, and they won't help him. Right, 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 right. Um, it's uh, very good. Uh, but no, that's like a big ends up being a big gunfight around the whole town, uh, and less of a straight duel. The weird, the funny, the one duel I really can think of is Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and the in the graveyard, at the which end. works because there's three of them. That's why they're all it's waiting who to see who's going to shoot. Gonna shoot. Yes. Right. That's why there's like there's an in-universe reason that I can really like get. Yeah. Whereas if it's just two guys standing in the street. But okay, even in Tombstone, because remember at, in the like the first time you see the guy shoot the other guy in the street and he looks at the sheriff and he says, it was legal. It was a fight. Right. It was a fair fight. It was legal. So yeah. there is there's the there's idea something that there. there are there is kind of at least a code of honor, if not a literal code of laws of how these guys can fight each other. So I feel like that's kind of the dual thing happening. But I think yeah. ultimately it does make sense. And then over the course of other movies, it gets very abstracted. Right. Because eventually you're doing it because that's the expectation of yeah. that kind of movie. That's it's, the cool thing. It's like in from 2011 to 2014 where every action movie ended with a spaceship crashing into a city, whether or not there were spaceships in that movie. What, Remember that? What, what is a movie that didn't have spaceships that crashed into a city? Thor 2. Is I I haven't seen Thor. Too. Just, is that the I, Dark World? Yes, that's the Dark World. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. There was there was that. There was um. That's a Marvel thing. Marvel loves having a big big thing crash into another thing in the end, well, or they, a bunch of aliens show up. They went through. So it started with uh, you know, there would always be just like the villain who would show up. Be like a the first round of movies. It was usually just like a one one because their budgets weren't that high. Mm-hmm. Then they had the spaceships phase. Then the aliens phase, and now they're just I don't know. They're all over the place. They're kind of they're so many products. Yeah. Right? Product, yeah, products. Um, yeah, so talking about the the code of honor and stuff, because I think, I mean, part of that is we talk about the broiness of the movie, but also I think there's people like this movie who aren't like extremely broy. Yeah, and also I I feel a little bad what I said earlier that made it. I kind of implied that if you're dumb if you like this movie, it is perfectly fine to like this. Movie. I actually think this. Is I a, had I think, fun watching it. Yeah, I think this is a good movie. Um, I I was very surprised by it. I was expecting kind of something more straightforward. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, we talk about TNT, just an example, like, you know, these kind of movies run on there all the time. I think Tombstone probably works really well because it's kind of episodic. Like you get, if you get to the end or the halfway to the end, it's, you know, there's the revenge, there's the, the gunfights, you can really track the plot. But before that, it's just kind of a lot of scenes of like men hanging out with men and like talking about honor and loyalty and like, kind of like, you know, like strutting at each other. Yeah. The other thing I would say that makes this movie really appealing on a kind of a superficial level is that it's very, very quotable. There's a lot of quotes, yes. especially all the doc holiday stuff. And even like the fun little scenes, for example, the tin cup shooting, the tin cup scene with doc holiday where he's doing the flippies. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's fun. just, and it's just also on its face. Cool. It's not trying to be anything except for just kind of cool. That scene doesn't really matter on a plot level, <laughs> but that's, uh, I think that's what's int- one of the interesting things about the movie is I think everything is so uh, segmented now in the culture that every- it's so clear what everything's trying to be. And something like Tombstone doesn't really exist anymore because it's just kind of a movie. It's not, it wasn't an Oscar play at the time, I don't believe. Yeah. Um, it, it's not coming from um, directors who were very acclaimed. Like, I'm, I'm sure the directors of these movies are very, you know, had great careers, but it's not like this is a, uh, this isn't like a Jonathan Demme movie. Uh, this isn't a you know a Tarantino movie. 
but it's also not like a it's not like a Schwarzenegger-y like the action movies in the nineties were very heightened or very political. You have like yeah. Air Force One or Passion Fifty Seven. Yeah, well, you're it sounds like you're kind of talking about how we lost this mid brow mid-budget movie it was a thing well not really early in television history like in the studio system you wouldn't get a middle budget movie but in the 90s especially it was really a thing right and we've kind of lost that now maybe maybe the problem the reason why we're having such trouble grappling with this movie is that it's not highbrow or lowbrow it's middlebrow and that's just not a thing that exists anymore so we could not identify it so i'm gonna disagree with you but i but sort of agree with you i think it's middle it's if it's middlebrow in like where it is in the culture I think the movie itself is many is, is a movie of many brows. I think this might be quantum brow. <laughs> I think it is simultaneously highbrow and lowbrow, and it is rapidly oscillating between the two so much that it is impossible to know where it is in any at any time and state. But I think there is a a subgenre beyond just the middle the mid budget movie of like. Um, also, this is not this is a high budget movie. Yes. Maybe I mean middle brow movie. Yeah, it, uh, movies that are like dramas. Like in worlds that can be action packed but aren't necessarily action movies, usually like male worlds. I guess they're TNT movies, but aren't like you know, Shooter is a TNT movie, but Shooter is a big dumb action movie, and I mean that yeah. in the best sense. Yeah, I mean it's it's not. I, Shooter is almost kind of like a meta commentary on big dumb action movies, where <laughs> it is it's so dumb on purpose that that is the appeal of it. So like some of the other movies, I was trying to think about these other. Um, kind of movies that would fit in the Tombstone, like the U five seven one. I feel like is one I see a lot. The submarine movie, yeah. Um, the Perfect Storm, or like the Finest Hours, which is kind of a more recent version of the Perfect Storm. They're just movies about men that again have action in them, but aren't Master like, and Commander. Is that one of those? Master and Commander is more highbrow because Peter Weir is the guy. Yeah. Oh, also that reminds me, we should say this movie is directed by George P. Cosmatos and Kevin Jar, and written by Kevin Jar. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't really, yeah, we got always have to, we got to give credit, especially give credit to the writers, because yeah. so much of the reason I have this podcast is we just were annoyed of other movie podcasts is never, ever mentioning the writers of anything. Yeah, and we will not, I will not name one actor in this movie, <laughs> except for Powers Booth, which we already did. Uh, I have a list of actors I'd like to name. I will, no, I well, will, I, I will it's sing, a good list. I will it's sing a good over list. it. They get enough credit on posters and in paychecks. We will not support this. <laughs> It's my list of dad actors of just like movie actors who are in just a bunch of dad movies. Kevin Costner. Uh, again, not in this movie, but could have been in this movie. No, in movies at all. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of these men could be Kevin Costner, but oh, not. okay. Just mean yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I'll go fast because we're not gonna go. We're not gonna talk about them. I can't believe you're actually just naming a list of actors it's right now after I made a firm stand <laughs> against actors. Okay, it let's is. hear it. Just, just the the sheer TNT like weathered older male character actor energy of this movie is Kurt Russell, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Michael Bain, Powers Booth, Billy Zane, John Corbett. Billy Zane is not part of that group. I think he's been in a lot of these, and I think like now, like, like what's he done since Titanic? Do you know? I mean, was the Phantom after Titanic? No, the Phantom. Oh, not the Phantom S- of the Opera. Just like Slam, slam Evil. Did really he slam think. evil when he had the big purple suit? See, I was just trying to name names. Now you're talking about actors. Oh, I'm talking about The Phantom, <laughs> the movie with Billy Zane in which he plays. It's a superhero movie in which he plays a jungle superhero who has a big, he wears a big purple zentai, basically. Mm-hmm. I think I was confused because there's also The Shadow. Yeah. With uh, a Baldwin. Alec. It is Alec? Alec Baldwin's in that, yeah. Okay. It felt like that could have been Alec or Adam. It was that time period where producers seemed to think that Everybody really wanted to see movies based on 30 serials. 
It was oh, because yeah, Dick Tracy had just it was Dick Tracy had just come out and Batman had just come out. And Batman was leaned a lot on that energy. Yeah, and then the Phantom and the Shadow were kind of the second tier of that, right? Because I think there was this weird thing of people were still afraid of doing superhero movies, so they were trying to do like the like the D sides. Yeah, like Darkman was, was Rocket, good movie. Was right? Rocketeer part of that? Rocketeer, I think, sort of gets away from it just because I think Joe Johnson like gives it that kind of actually successfully makes that movie what that is. I don't love yeah. Rocketeer, but I think it, it's. The voice of a some of an artist, right? But I will say, I think I don't know. I don't. I don't think Rocketeer is specifically based on an actual '30s serial, but it's uh, definitely borrowing the style of, or it's bar. It definitely it's Art Deco design, yeah. and it's set in the '40s or the '30s. That feels right. I have not seen it in a while. It, yeah, middle school for me. Uh, Stephen Lang, Michael Rooker, Billy Bob Thornton, Thomas Hayden Church, Charlton Heston. Okay, and there's more, but mm-hmm. those are just the ones I got down. Like that, this movie has such. Uh, I mean, all these guys, all these guys should have a billions. If they don't already, or are still, or just, they should just have billions. They should all they be. Should, on they billion. should just be sent to the par- to the paradise we've erected for them. That is billions. In a weird, the Elysium in Burbank. That is billions, but but equally a hell for Zendaya. <laughs> oh no, um, no, I actually do. But also that would kind of work because I think I don't know. I, I have, from what I've seen of billions, I think uh, obviously there's like a lot of very good, very slick actors on it. But like, I kind of feel like I would really love it if someone made a show about Wall Street where the characters were just like old middle-aged men who looked like old middle-aged men, like who were not trying to be like so slick and pretty and like, look how I'm so master of the universe. The like, anti-Gordon Gecko. Essentially, Wall Street. Yes. I think there's something like basically um, Wolf of Wall Street is 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 kind of that, except kind Leo of, is so like dynamic like, that he hides that. And he is a guy who very specifically wants to be that. Right. But that's like the the brilliant to that movie is you think it's about the master universe, but they're just doing penny stocks. Really? Like they're not really, yeah. Yeah. they're not the guys who broke the economy. They're just assholes who want to be that. So really you want a movie that is set in the five years before wall street comes out. Yes. Because wall street itself affected the perception of bankers so much. I guess I just want someone to do billions with ugly actors. Are, are you? <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, it has Paul Giamatti in it. <laughs> But he's not one of the bank. Isn't he the? He's I don't the, know what billions is about. It's about a hedge fund that has billions of dollars. Are you I, just pitching Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross to me right now? I'm trying to make a real point about how I don't want like Wall Street people glamorized as these like beautiful masters of the universe anymore. They should just be a bunch of schlubby white dudes. Yeah. Um, that's all. I didn't. I don't end the actor talk. I just think it's interesting that all these guys are in there, and it's a good mix of these guys are all over the place in their career. You got like. Some of these guys, like Stephen Lang, is not way pre-Avatar, you know, so he's very early on. He's yeah. the cowardice guy. You got Charlton Heston, obviously, towards more towards the end of his career and mm-hmm. life. And then you got guys who are, like, in their prime. You got, you know, your Paxtons, your, your Kurt Russells. Or Kurt Russell may be a little long in the tooth, but he's still Kurt Russell, you know? Yeah. Um, that's all. We don't have to get into the actor talk. No, it's fine. I mean, I will say the one thing that I find kind of interesting is that it shares a couple actors with Deadwood. Which is Powers Booth mm-hmm. plays a very similar character in Deadwood, although kind of a more interesting dynamic character. And then uh, one of the wives, the Irish one, mm-hmm. plays Trixie in Deadwood. Mm. And she's a really great character in Deadwood. But Deadwood really is the highbrow version of this movie. If we, were to, if we were to do a highbrow-lowbrow comparison, the really crazily close one would be Deadwood because it is about an ex-lawman coming to a town that has no laws in order to become a businessman and getting sucked into being a lawman again. Yeah, I, though I do, I will say that is a, no, you thought that exactly, that's probably the closest thing, but I think that's a trope that you see in Westerns to some degree. I mean, yeah, there's the, you know, sure. there's like the, the traveling gun, Ronin, I mean, uh, Yojimbo, uh, yeah. a few dollars more. The gunfighter kind of is kind of an inverse of that because the gunfighter is about an ex-gunfighter who doesn't want to 
get in duels anymore and he keeps on getting challenged by these young guys who want to take his crown. But so he's basically a reluctant fighter. Yeah. But um it's just but also this very specific thing of going to a place because it has no laws and then at, once you get there it starts to get more and more laws and then you have to grapple with becoming a society yeah which is really what deadwood's about i mean that's probably i mean to, to really blow it out like that's kind of why westerns have survived so much i think as a storytelling even though a lot of like historians will tell you like the old west if it existed at all was a very brief period and not a lot of this happened but it is a landscape on which you can tell more elemental stories because there's less structures there's less rules and so the stories become about what do men do when they don't have those structures or what is the story of putting these laws and rules onto there like something like the man who shot liberty valence or even rio bravo i knew they're all about the law on this like lawless place yeah and it really comes down to what are the fundamental needs of a society Mm -hmm. because even when you go to a place because you don't want laws eventually you discover that you do want some laws because you have something you don't want it to be stolen right and that cartman's amusement park again it's exactly cartman's amusement have i said that on mike i cannot remember we've talked about it you should explain cartman's Cartman's amusement park is an episode of south park where cartman gets an amusement park He, he just inherits it and he tells everyone else to get out, and then he tries to just ride all the rides himself, and then uh, eventually he realizes he has to let in like two people a day because he has to pay for security to keep people out. And then he's like, oh, two, now they're riding, the rides are breaking down, I got to pay for four people in so I can make sure the rides are still running. And then eventually he's just running a successful amusement park. And yeah. that's uh, Tombstone. Yeah, exactly, because it's it starts off with, oh, we want to be able to do whatever we want, own whatever we want. And not have to deal, not have to fear the law. And then you get the sense of, oh, it's unfair that this guy killed my brother, stole my land, blah, blah, blah. So you want somebody to protect that. And that somebody eventually just becomes the law. And then you kind of have Cartman his amusement park yourself into having a society again. <laughs> you should really, I know you haven't seen it. I know you have a, a general aversion to uh, Jimmy Stewart, but uh, you should definitely I, check out The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, with him and John Wayne, another person you dislike. Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, it's the two actors I possibly dislike watching the most. It is, um, I think it's a movie actually because it's all about that theme and it's very, it's J- J- Jimmy Stewart is like the, is a lawyer. He's like a, a nebbish lawyer and he's the voice of we need laws and John Wayne is like, I'm the tough guy, you know, who like has the guns and stuff around here and I'm the wild card. And it's very much putting them as like the symbols of the two sides of the West like against each that, other. That does sound very good. And I do like Westerns a lot. I will just say my problem with Jimmy Stewart is really a lot of it is just his voice and the way he delivers lines of dialogue. It's not that I think he is specifically a bad actor. But then John Wayne, I do think, is a really bad actor. And he just does the John Wayne thing all the time and also was a piece of shit in real life. So yeah. I kind of don't care about being shitty. Though. Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, and also uh, Jimmy Stewart is 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 dead and it's OK to slander him if you want. But I, I think he's I mean, also apparently incredible dude in real life, like the exact opposite of John Wayne. I don't have a problem. Yeah, I don't have a problem with Jimmy Stewart. Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, great. I mean, obviously an actor I adore who like means a lot to me. It's some of my favorite movies. Um, but then again, I know that you don't love those movies maybe it's, as much. It's fine. It's fine. We don't want to have to get you're, too... You're in- dancing around It's a Wonderful Life right now. I know. I know. It is uh, close between that and Tokyo Godfathers for my favorite Christmas movie. And it's like... I, I do enjoy know. Tokyo Godfathers a lot. For, if you haven't heard Tokyo Godfathers, it is an anime film. Who's the director, Josh? Uh, Satoshi Kon. Unfortunately, passed a few years back. It's very good. It's about three homeless people in Tokyo who are... They just find a baby. They find yeah right that's right they, they find just, a baby. They just, I was trying to remember what even the plot yeah they find a baby and it's them they trying try and to get survive. back yeah yeah it's um, a great movie very good movie um, 
Another thing just about the high roller road, we, going back to the uh, theater scene a little bit, we don't have nothing else no, to no, say about I that. I want to come back. I'm fine to come back to the theater scene. It's very interesting. Um, the movie opens with a, um, a voiceover from Robert Mitchum, another fucking dude. Okay, the voiceover is super corny. And I know. it is super lowbrow. And or is more it? The, the ending voiceover more than the opening voiceover. Because I think if I'm going to now put on my hat of this is a high roller movie. Okay, I am. I'm curious to see what you say when you have this hat on because I'm. I don't really know what your argument is. But go. I, if the movie is about anything, and like I think one of the things we talk about is like highbrow movies can be about more abstract things. They can kind of tr- make more interesting, not interesting, but more um, complex arguments. Yeah. So you have something like the theater scene where you have the cowboys commenting on fanciness, and you have this. Um, you have this voiceover where you know Robert Mitchum like kind of telling you the the myth of the West. And including clips from movies, a clip, a clip from The Great Train Robbery, which right. is one of the most important movies ever made. Which it, is interesting. for the fact that it was a feature, not a, it, was a, it was a narrative film. And kind of tacitly acknowledging that the, the West is a myth that is created by movies. And then the movie ends with, um, with, with Kurt Russell reuni- reuniting with uh, the actress he was in love with. And the voiceover just telling the story about how he grows old and dies happily retired in Hollywood. And that actors were at his funeral. It feels like if this movie is about something fancy, and if this is a fancy movie, it's about, it's like subtly, like under almost undercutting or just telling you that it's false. It's about the falsity of this image I actually of do, the West. I, I do find this very interesting. I, I know I'm reaching a lot, but that's why I told you I put that hat on no, earlier. I don't, know. I don't know if you're reaching a lot because, I mean, I kind of forgot about the movie clips in the beginning. But yeah, okay, so it's, okay, we're saying movie clips in the beginning it's acknowledging that this is a fake story that is created by films, and then the end, it kind of brings it back by saying that this this cowboy became a Hollywood person, basically. Yeah. Kind of like went back to what he really was. Mm-hmm. He like converted. That it was all an image, almost. Are or, there are there any other are there any other moments we can think of in the middle that kind of back up that theory? I mean, in general, there is the idea of like reputations and images of like you know. I mean, I think Un- Unforgiven does this better because I think Unforgiven is especially about is like explicitly textually about like undercutting the myths of the old west, and it's something right. uh, Clint Eastwood in general has been working on just on an official career those ideas. Yeah, because especially because like what I said earlier about how a lot of gunfighters really only got in a couple gunfights, they have a conversation about that in Unforgiven where he describes to the kid about how it what nothing was really as glamorous as it was when and the stories that he's heard in the dinosaur novels he was just like oh the guy was drunk and I shot him right it, and I think I think if Tombstone is doing is is the highbrow movie and I'm wearing that hat assuming, and although I though you know like I said I think it's quantum brow um I think that's where it gets to that I think that's where you can really make the argument that this is like a kind of a complex drama slash hyperviolent action movie about the ideas and myths of the old, of the old West. Uh, I don't, I could not tell you what argument it is making. Yeah. Okay. So another, okay. So one other scene that maybe we could read this way is him screaming no and running at them with a gun. It is okay. So it's a thing where it's, it's kind of like in Pulp Fiction where they the guy the kid shoots at them and they're just fine. It, it, right. it misses and then they're having the whole debate about whether it's a miracle or not mm-hmm. because it's something that happens in movies, not something that happens in real life. Yeah, and it kind of gets to the point of they're almost discussing whether they're a movie or not, and that's kind of what happens there because he just says no and by sheer force of willpower and deciding to be a hero is able to basically turn on God mode right and, and that, rock down the river right when he right before he says no he gets shot pretty much at point blank range and the guy misses. 
I mean, right. it almost feels like um, uh, there's the reading of um, of Minority Report that a certain section of that movie uh, isn't real. Um, oh, which one? Um, well, there's a scene where he get basically there's a part where he gets captured and they put on the thing on his head that like traps him. And there's a theory that everything else that happens in that movie um, is him imagining it because it's just things work out too well for him now. Right. And it's almost like that happens. That like things turn on. Like once Wyatt Earp makes the decision that he's gonna be the lawman again. It's like we're watching uh, a movie in a different register. So are we thinking that maybe it's the story being told about him or is it literally that this is what's happening? I don't know. It almost feels like a meta commentary by the movie. Like I, it remind, I can't believe how many weird references I'm making uh, in this episode. But in the satanic verses, there's like a lot of moments where like it's kind of commenting on what it is, like what the book is. And it, the meta thing is not always like constant in that book. But it's willing to do it in moments and kind of like tell you. I actually, I don't, I don't really know what the Satanic Verses is about. It's about a lot. Um, okay. It, I could not. Big, big picture. Big picture. Um, in one sentence. Oh, uh, two men fall out of a plane explodes uh, and a terrorist attack on a plane, and they fall out of the sky, and one slowly becomes an angel, and one slowly becomes a devil. Oh, that sounds very exciting. Yeah, I, it's really a shame that um, the. You know, there was a fatwa on his head, and that kind of was the story of that book. Because I think that book is really tremendous in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, like some of my favorite quotes, like ever, uh, come mm-hmm. from that book. Um, but just more to the point, I think that Tombstone may also be occasionally just switching into this extra meta layer to like make a certain point in a moment. But then it maybe isn't always in that register the whole movie. Yeah, if I- if that's acceptable for an art to do, which I've actually I had this debate in. Uh, my my post-colonial novel class like 10 years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, this does remind me of kind of, I mean, it's a thing that it was the reason why I enjoyed being an English major in college, which is just like you find your take on it and you look for the moments that meet that take, but you don't necessarily have to believe that that's what the movie's trying to do on a, every single scene, but it's just like, it's doing it. Yeah. I don't care what the movie thinks. Yeah. And to to, to to get out of this mode a little bit, to take my hat off. Okay, take and, that hat off. And I don't know what I want to put the lowbrow hat on because it's stinky and smelly. Um, but the movie also is like an action movie, a romp. It's a hangout movie. Um, I mean, I think the action scenes are not like artful, artfully no. directed. This, this is not John Woo. This is not like this is a lot. The gunfights are very much just like show the like you know show the actors in like a, a four shot of them just pulling the triggers of stuff and then show a guy going like Aye! like falling into yeah even, even worse than spaghetti westerns which i think are at least shot very in a very cool way and right. have better music but this one also i just have the note what are these 18 bullet revolvers it should have a cylinder that is just the size of a soup can because they're just basically hauling ass at each other constantly. Right, they're never reloading. It's always, it's just nonstop gunfire, moment to moment. Which is too bad because the the act of having to reload is a really crucial, interesting part of a gunfight. Right, and it's not, and that's why that's a very lowbrow move in the action scenes. If it's not really interesting in trying to like craft. Uh, an action scene that's like particularly like you know um you know police uh, Jackie Chan movies are very lowbrow but they he takes a lot of time in the art of the stunts and the action yeah, this movie is not cuz he ca- like Jackie Chan cares a lot about the mechanics of how things can actually happen right 
And Sometimes that thing is, how can I fight 10 guys with a ladder? But he <laughs> wants it to happen in a natural way. Right, where this movie is not, like, once it gets to that, it's just, like, my note on, I, I started taking notes on trying to come up with an idea with the kind of action this is. It's just bang, 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 It's bang, like bang. a video game. It really is. And I think in the that, <laughs> And also, it's like he turns on God mode in that video game when he starts screaming no in the river. And I will say, it is fun. Like, I just because it's not highbrow or fancy doesn't mean, I, I think this movie is a lot of fun. I think... Now that I've seen it, I'm sure when I next time I have a, a TV that like can turn to TNT and see it because I'm assuming it's there every day, I'll just pop in and catch a few scenes. I think it's it's fun. Yeah. But like, yeah, like the act, I will say the action is just like big and loud and dumb. And that's a lowbrow thing. It's yeah. not always the satanic versus. I, no, not <laughs> always. Sometimes it is. Usually it's not. And I'm thinking about so. Doc Holliday is the other part that feels like it's trying to be highbrow, but it's it Val Kilmer's character who is dying of tuberculosis. Yes, yeah, he has a lot of the kind of flowery dialogue. He's they're they're giving him this sort of like he's the soulful killer, like that's the the archetype. Although he of. does have the line that I love, not to quote a bunch of lines, we'll just do that. I do get one, one, I get do one per one. episode, okay. Which is the guy saying you're probably seeing double. He says, "Luckily, I have two guns," and that's he just points in the gun so at him. Funny. It's just very funny. <laughs> <laughs> two guns is pretty cool. Yeah, two, there's nothing cooler than having two guns. No. Um, God, yeah, Doc Holliday, Soulful Killer. He's, uh, I, I actually think it's a very good performance. Um, yeah. I, I know we're trying to avoid actor talk. Um, we don't have to completely I, I know. avoid it. It's, very, it's just funny to bring it up constantly. Yeah. Um, but Val Kilmer, who is an actor who is, I think, uh, has an interesting legacy. He's had a lot of ups and downs. Certainly. I think there's probably been some off the off-screen stuff with him. I'm not, I'm not I, I associate him a lot with Tom Sizemore who also came out of this time. And I, I know Sizemore obviously had a much more um, uh, off-camera stuff going mm-hmm. on with him. Um, but Val Kilmer, I think is a very, when he's really like in a good mode is like a really compelling actor. And I think here he's, not everything he's doing really works, but like here's definitely well, stuff he's, where he's just owning scenes. He's delivering it very well. Yeah, I think probably my favorite Val Kilmer is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He's very good in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He's very good in that. Yeah. He's great in Heat. I mean, Heat is a crazy-ass movie. We're going to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, and the problem with that Heat is so influential that it, you you could pair it with so much. And and we talked about doing Heat versus Dark Knight, but like which is the highbrow and which is the lowbrow. I know, because Heat, it it like kind of it's highbrow in comparison to modern action movies, but I think but Dark it's Knight not is really. I think Dark Knight's doing more openly pretentious things, and I was pretentious in a good way. Not until Dark Knight's perfect, ten out of ten best. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Nolan movie. All right, yeah, like Dark Knight does have a discussion about human nature with the whole ferry boats exploding thing. Right, it has the trolley problem. It's not really a trolley. Problem. It's some. It feels it's, like a. It, it it's is. A, it's a trolley problem, basically. Yeah, it is. The funny thing is, life is a trolley problem. <laughs> Nothing yeah. is not a trolley problem. Right. It's. It's. Uh. Yeah. Everything is a decision between two things. Everything is a cost benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I take the step, but maybe I'll blow out my knee. I don't know everything. Yeah. But it is. It is a live thought experiment, basically, right. that the Joker creates. Um. Anyway, Kilmer's great, and Doc Holliday, you're right. His that stuff is. I mean, that's a drama about a killer who has this like poetry in him, who is dying of tuberculosis, and describing that that sounds very, very highbrow. Yeah. Um. In practice, it's a lot more, a little more broy, a little more because they're the, they don't really lean into the agony of his death. Yeah, because it fe- it feels highbrow because he does 
he's the smart one. Mm-hmm. But there are all these very quippy one-liners that don't actually add a lot to the conversation other than showing how much smarter than he is than everybody. Right, but like it's not impressive that you're smarter than all these dumb cowboys. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, that's my thing. It's like, you, yeah, it's them quoting Latin at each other. It's like, congratulations, you're the two smartest people in kindergarten. Them, Yeah, them quoting Latin at each other is, I think, the perfect explanation of why this movie wants to be highbrow and is not doing it because they're literally just saying mouth sounds that mean nothing that you know are supposed to be fancy but the movie wants to have it both ways like it, there's, it definitely wants to be lowbrow sometimes like with yeah. the no and the the gunfights and i mean is the no supposed to be lowbrow i okay is it supposed to be dramatic because i'm not sure if that was oh, not genuine you're right because i'm thinking of it as more tongue-in-cheek because of our earlier discussion but you're right it may I think we be, have a, yeah i think we have a fun read on it but i think it might be being genuine but the movie is does get very rompish at times like when the montage of them murdering the rest of the gang is very when they're like running oh, yeah. on horses and just hunting people down that's very much like yeah i have the note slow-mo horse handshake which is fun <laughs> i will say those scenes the note i have for that is it remind remember in like if you watch tom and jerry cartoons whenever anyone turned on the tv it'd be the same footage of like cowboys running around the yeah, field. yeah. that's what it reminded me of yeah <laughs> But um, uh, but again, yeah, is is that supposed to be it's not supposed to be goofy, I don't think. I think it's supposed to be a genuine moment of him expressing his anguish. I the weirdly the thing that um that like almost drives me pull back from that is that is Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell, I think, as an actor, is um you know, not 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 really known more of his movie star, not really known as like a uh, like he's not like Daniel Day Lewis. He's not like a chameleon, but he's also, I think, brilliant. Uh, and has given so many great movie star leading man performances. Okay, so you're saying because it's him, he can never have that moment? I think, I guess, one, I think I trust him to understand the scene. Like, like I don't, I, I feel like I've never seen Kurt Russell come off as silly by accident. Okay, oh, but I guess also, I know, in, the, in, the script, <laughs> in the script, is that scene, Wyatt stands up and then says, the dialogue is... Wyatt, no, Wyatt, no. Like, what is that? What does that page look like? I, right, I don't know. I, I guess I, I think he's so owning that like heightened weirdness. I don't know. I guess I just really love Kurt Russell. And oh, he's I great. He's very good in this movie. Yeah, he's great. Is he like? Is he always super skinny? I feel like he's pretty skinny in this movie. And a weird note, but like I remember seeing. I don't know. I guess he always seems like a big buff action hero. But maybe because he's always standing next to Sam Elliott, who is quite tall. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, how old is he in this? Oh, like On, White Earp? He's, he's a little bit supposed to be on the older side. Yeah, he's. this is kind of a little middle to later in his career. Yeah. I mean, certainly after all the 80s, peak for him was the 80s. So he's getting a little older, so maybe it's like old man thin a little bit, like middle-aged yeah. guy thin. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, he's, um, yeah, I mean, this would be like around Escape from L.A. time. Yeah. Um, so I think really starting to get to the point in his career where he's not like, he's not playing Snake Plissken again yeah. after that. Speaking of Kurt Russell having dramatic moments that it's unclear whether it's genuine or silly, right. him screaming, him yelling in the rain. Yes. It's after, I'm, I'm, I'm free. I feel like I do this all the time, but I'm forgetting exactly what the lead up to the scene is. Somebody die is the attack, it's the attack where his brother dies, right? Right. I think so. And it's raining outside and he's screaming at the sky as if he's screaming at God and yelling in the rain, which is kind of like a kind of like feels like a Shawshank scene. It's, yeah. it's something you've seen before. It's kind of mm-hmm. cliched. Right. It was, I, and but like when it like lands like Shaw like I, you no one would watch Shawshank Redemption and get to, you know, a scene of him in the rain and be like, "Well, this is kind of goofy." Whereas here it is kind of goofy. Cuz it just But happens. maybe it is just like the the movie failed to deliver 
a dramatic moment that was not goofy because its movie is insane in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess it's also... But I, I, I like the scene, though. I don't know. It's fun. But, like, maybe it's not supposed to yelling, be fun. Him yelling in the rain. I don't think it's supposed to be fun. Again, his brother just died, and he's expressing his anguish over his brother dying. But then I feel like there were... I mean, not to not to speak for the director, but it seems like, oh, this is the type of... I think the most dramatic thing I've seen in the movie of this sort of scene is the man, a man yelling in the rain. That's very dramatic. That's Let's figure out how to get him in the rain. Have him run outside, just like throw himself on the ground and scream at the sky, even though that's not exactly what makes sense. Yeah. In Shawshank, he's yelling in the rain because he came out of the hole. Yeah. And he looks up and he sees the sky, which is a symbol of freedom for him. And he's like crying into the rain. Right. And it's raining because I don't know if it, there's a, it has to be raining. He used the, th- the storm. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, it's it, all motivated. It ha- Shawshank's great. Yeah, so that scene, every moment of that scene makes sense for both the scene and the character and in the movie. In the movie, it, that scene has to happen that way, but it is also the most dramatic way. This one is because something happened inside somewhere else, and he runs out to find the more dramatic place to freak out. It almost, it kind of feels like John Woo to me. Yeah, have you ever seen like a uh, classic? Where John a bunch Woo? of doves come out for no reason? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's cool, right? Where John Woo just like puts shit in his movies because he thinks it looks interesting on screen, and he's right. And yeah, it doesn't make any sense, and, and it's overwhelming and like amazing. But like when you're doing something like Tombstone, which is not trying to be a John Woo movie, yeah, because John Woo, I th- this is really the hard part is that it feels like John Woo's doing that on purpose. You forgive him because it feels very deliberate and it's the message of the movie that this is the way the movie is. And this movie doesn't feel like it's necessarily doing that. I, I agree. I, I think I agree. Cause like, because we're doing the high brow, low brow, we're kind of doing the, you know, everything's on purpose. The movie's always trying to do that. But there's also the fact that partially, you know, like, like I think it's movie when the movie tries to do melodrama and fails. I mean, movies can fail. Good movies can do things wrong. And yeah. I think you're like, you know, everything with Kurt Russell and uh, his wife and the actress and all that stuff that's more played as a straight, like, addiction drama doesn't really play well, super they also, well for me. They don't really follow up on the addiction drama very much. We Maybe this was cut out. Maybe in the director's cut you saw it was different, but we only check in with her, like, three times. I think, I mean, three times is a lot for, like, the F-plot of the movie. There's so many plots in this movie. Yeah, There's a lot of little I guess plots. Having an F-plot is tough. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, hey, you know, they, they chose to... Take that bite, then might as well chew it. Yeah. The other weird thing, this isn't even really a criticism of the movie. It's just very weird to me the way that this romance is treated between him and the actress. Where they go on, they see each other, they go on maybe one half date, but it's treated as if he's cheating on his wife, but he isn't ever. Maybe an emotional affair, or maybe yeah. it's implied that they are sleeping, sleeping together. together. I was I implied I felt that, that was what was happening. Um I th- I remember maybe it's a director's like this, cut thing. This movie, I feel like this movie would show that if this was a movie from the fifties, I would believe that it is implied that there was an affair. But this is a nineties western; they can show that. No, but I would disagree because this is a nineties western dude movie. So, oh, you don't want that lovey stuff? You don't want any of that. This is not a ma- movie where you see Kurt Russell going to town. This is a movie well, where they he- do that in like Top Gun. <laughs> And Top Gun has a weird, gross sex scene. I think Top Gun is doing also obviously a bro classic, but like a different movie. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know. I've only watched Top Gun once at a party out of the corner of my eye. Top Gun might not have been the best example of that, (laughs) but there are, there are love scenes in bro movies. But it's usually the exception. And I will say it's probably the stuff that gets cut out when it gets aired on TNT. I mean, that's my thing of like why you wouldn't show that because like it's a movie that like, 
dads want to show their sons like that. Like, well, here's like cool cowboys. I mean, know? that's actually a good point. And also you are the other point that you made is true. Who has the time? And I wouldn't have wanted that scene. Yeah, I mean, it is maybe more interesting because it's a weird emotional affair with maybe they were cheating on each other. It is a strange dynamic, though, almost a highbrow dynamic because it reminded me the most of um, uh, American Hustle, where um, the whole plot is Christian Bale's character is having an affair with Amy Adams' character, and he's been like captured basically by this like evil wife who is Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Like he's saying, like, oh, I married her young. I shouldn't have done that. Now she like we're just married. I can't get out. But like, but she's crazy, and you're like the good woman, and like obviously that's all deeply problematic. Also, the fact that Jennifer Lawrence, the character she's playing in that movie, is apparently in her forties in real life, uh, which would make a play there. But like that's that dynamic of you know I'm trapped in this weird, complicated thing that is dragging me down, and you are like my salvation of that. Well, that is that's the kind of a a trend in rom coms a lot, which is that the the, usually the lead actress has to have this real dirtbag boyfriend who you yeah. have to root for her to break up with him. Yeah. You need her to be in a relation, in a stable relationship, but you also need for that to be a relationship that you want to fail so that your lead guy can come in and be an interloper without you feeling bad about it. Exactly. It's, it, I mean, there's so many, I mean, Bradley Cooper and Wedding Crashers is the one that comes to mind the most because it's the most extreme version of that, I think. Yeah, and it's weird because it, it kind of casts this weird doubt on the decision-making of the lead. Right. Of why, the lead, because you're like, why are they dating this person? Right. Why can't they see they are horrible? Like, Rachel McAdams, like, I'm, yeah, I'm sure he's, like, hiding it and stuff, but, like, you must know how... Like, I understand that yeah. like, sometimes people stay in relationships that aren't right for them, but when they're that... Even for that movie, that, like, aggressively evil. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so, like, that's... I don't know. that All that stuff in Tombstone doesn't really... Doesn't play for me as much, but it's interesting that it goes so much that that's the core of the movie to them. They end with uh, with Wyatt, but although then that could just be about you know Wyatt has turned the corner on that part of his life. You know he's going back to the farm. He's not fighting anymore. Yeah. Just speaking of the ending, I'm just because it's a little fuzzy to me. Does Doc like die of tuberculosis at the end? Okay, so, so he's dying in the hospital of tuberculosis, and he's visiting him and playing cards with him. And I think maybe in the epigraph they say he died. Oh, and it's sort of, oh, right, Doc is sort of like, go off and live your life. Yeah, exactly. That's nice. You know what's, uh, this is not really related, but this it, the story of Doc getting tuberculosis is even sadder than you realize in the movie because he got it from his dying mother who he was taking care of. Oh, that's super sad. I know. Tuberculosis is super sad. What are tuberculosis rules? This is the second debate episode. Do we I, only do I, TV episodes? I really thought tuberculosis was more contagious than it. Oh, actually, you know what it might be? I think tuberculosis might be only contagious for a certain window. Oh, interesting. And then you kind of just live with it for a while. Because in the Wikipedia page, I'm going to have to fact check this. You don't have to, but go on, speak. <laughs> There's no, you're not going to get in any trouble, I think, for trying to understand tuberculosis. Okay. When I was looking at the Wikipedia page, it said that he was treating his mother in the time period where it was contagious. Oh, so then so that's... Then, and then he got it then and then developed it later. Interesting. Yeah. Um... I, I cannot think of a third tuberculosis movie for us to do. This is two two for two that was good for debate episodes. It's in, like, it's just like it's a weird thing to double down it's on. It's funny because I feel like so every movie set in the 1800s has tuberculosis in some capacity. It just seemed <laughs> to be like a reference. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. The ending's interesting. I do like the whole like Doc says he'll go do the shooting. Um, oh could yeah. Do the fight with Ringo. You know, I like how they they realize that Ringo, you know, the Michael Bane character, is the real villain. Um, yeah, that felt like an interest. That's an interesting thing that happens where you have the kind of, the, well, there's kind of three villains 
here. It, it was Powers Booth is the head of the gang. Powers Ringo Booth starts off, and then he kind of goes away. He gets put in jail, and then that second guy with the big bushy beard steps up. Who's kind of like a no name, but he is kind of the like in the uh, interregnum yeah. villain while Powers Booth is gone. And then Powers Booth comes back, and he kind of falls back down to comic relief. Right, and then because yeah, Michael Bain is like the sadistic guy. He's kind of the Darth Vader. Right, it's it's that theme of like the the um the real wild card who ends up taking over because they're just too chaotic. Yeah, um, like hostage does that really well. Yeah, um, friggin', I mean, I don't know, like every action movie, um, like John Wick does that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. It ends. He, they they shoot the bad guy. He dies of tuberculosis. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about with uh, Tombstone? Oh, well, okay. Real quick. Okay. <laughs> Have we come to a decision about whether this is oh, highbrow or lowbrow? That's very important to, to talk about. I, mean, I think maybe we have to make a new distinction of quantum brow, in which this is a constantly <laughs> oscillating brow that is neither high nor low. Um, yeah. I will say, um, despite my highbrow hat moment, if, if you had a gun to my head, I had to pick high or low, I'd probably go low. Because I think when I think about what is this movie trying to do the most, it is clearly enjoys the lowbrow bang 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 you know and and again lowbrow doesn't mean bad but like, it, it, but like more just kind of like hanging out like it cares more about that they are fronting on each other and shooting each other than what that means for them emotionally usually although i do think it's a, it's such a tough call i mean me. i i my, my actual take is that i agree with that i think it is fundamentally lowbrow which is kind of what i came into it thinking in the beginning and you did yeah. bring up a lot of points about why there are highbrow elements of it which i like a lot and i now appreciate that about it but i think ultimately some of the high even some of the highbrow elements are highbrow elements are kind of just failures of the lowbrow element it's them trying to be lowbrow and just failing up in a weird way sometimes yeah i think the movie you know putting on that the the another a lot of hats today of you know, like if if you could streamline this into one or the other, I think you could. You know, there's a lot of the lowbrow stuff. Uh, there's or there is a more like clean, like straightforward lowbrow action movie in here somewhere. Yeah. Although I think obviously what makes this movie fun and rewatchable and such a classic for so many people is that it kind of is doing so much. You can pop in and like, oh yeah, now they're at the theater. Oh, you pop in, like, oh no, oh that yeah. girl, she's on laudanum. Um, yeah, it's very episodic. And I think I, I like it a lot, but like at Quantum Brow really is the great uh, innovation of the last hour or so. Yeah. Um, and I'm very proud of us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you know what? I guess a good pick. I was very skeptical. Of, Thank you. Because I, not a I movie was, I personally am familiar with. I will say I was worried because I was worried going in because I said, oh, yeah, we should do Tombstone for Lowbrow. You said, that's not Lowbrow. And then I found out you hadn't seen it. And then I was thinking, oh, my God, did I just pick the wrong thing? And it turned out that really we just had to figure it out together. Exactly. We really uh, we really just kind of stumbled our way into a really interesting episode. I got to say, going in, I woke up this morning and did not thinking about the Satanic Verses <laughs> and, and how it related here, to Tombstone. Here we are. <laughs> Great book, though. Um, uh, do should we, we play a game? We should play a game. Okay, so every week we play a game. One of us finds a list, and then we try to get the other person to guess the names on the list. It you know, always like something related to the movies in some way, related to the movies we're talking about in some way. So, Cooper, why don't you tell us, what, what have you found for me this evening? I mean, this one is uh, pretty easy. From IndieWire, the 11 best modern westerns. We'll do, do the top five. Okay. Um, I, I have a feeling they'll be a little little predictable. I'm not going to have you start off guessing, because I okay, think you'll good. probably I just get I a bunch of them. I think at least three, but okay, yeah. yeah. So let, let, let's see where we go. Okay, well, actually, just for funsies, what do you think the first one is? I think number one is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That is not the first one. Okay. 
person is not that. Okay, so <laughs> not that that's my personal favorite, but like just knowing why you know, I think it's known as like certainly one of the most modern in style. Yeah. Okay. First hint: this one is directed by its lead actor. Interesting. It's from 1992. Oh, that's Unforgiven. It's Unforgiven. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Easy enough. Sorry, modern. I, I was thinking modern. It's way more recently. Okay. I'm okay. I'm good. I'm ready. I got yeah. This. I, I got mean, this. I I think I'm, and this is generally after the 90s. Yeah. Okay. I think that's right. Um. And yeah, we already talked Unforgiven. Brilliant movie. Pretty much perfect. Going to to its best movie acting or directing. Um. No. Well, good, the bad, and the ugly. But other than that, great movie. Yeah. What okay. All right. So this next one came out in 2012. It is. With the work of an auteur, it is hi- very highly stylized, owes a lot to spaghetti westerns. Oh, 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 oh uh, Django? Yeah. Django Unchained. J- not not Django. Django. So there is another film called Django, which if if anybody at home wants to have some fun, just look up the Django theme song. It's very goofy. It's very fun. The whole movie itself is really insane. It's kind of a, it's like a, a real classic spaghetti western where I think a lot of the extras are just speaking in their native language and they're mm-hmm. dubbing it over. It's pretty rough, but it's goofy. Yeah. While uh, Django Unchained, also rough and goofy, but uh, for different, more intentional reasons. Uh, great movie. Yeah. Okay, so this next one I hadn't actually heard of. Okay. So I think I'm just going to have to start reading stuff off the Wikipedia page. Okay, all right. All right, it's from 2014. Historical drama set in the 1850s. It is uh, starring Meryl Streep. Okay. <laughs> okay, go on. It's about a 31-year-old spinster from New York. It uh, oh, it was selected to compete for the Palme d'Or in the main competition in 2014. Oh, um got a limited North American release. Oh god, it who's another actor in it? Hillary Swank. The Homesman? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Is it Oh yeah, that movie Do I, you know anything about The Homesman? I I think it is directed by um is it directed by Tommy Lee Jones? Yes. Yeah, that's why I know it, because Tommy Lee Jones has this interesting career where he directs these kind of modern stuff. He also like The Three Burials of Mulcades Estrada, I think he directed. Oh, which that's is supposed a, to be pretty good, right? Right. It's a very like, interesting, like modern, it's not really Western, but it takes place on like the U.S.-Mexico border, and he's like carrying this dead body, and he's like a sheriff, I think. I, 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 I flagged that and Holmesman as movies like check out, because like, like... I feel like when actors direct, they go for very straightforward Oscar bait stuff usually. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking of another. Well, George Clooney does he he doesn't really do that though. Well, Clooney kind of does his own thing, but I'm thinking yeah. like, like the ones you don't think of. Like I saw Ed Harris has made like direct some movies that are a little closer to right, that, although yeah. they're often quite good. Um, like the, a lot of times you don't like remember them as doing that. Um, yeah. Whereas I always thought that Tommy Lee Jones, just like his career, is kind of doing his own thing. Like his has this kind of like shadow career of this director of interesting movies that are not like landing with Oscar and aren't quite fancy enough for like, you know, you know, to be like in the great auteurs, but like are probably really interesting and thorny and worth like grappling. Like there are some critics who really ride for Holmesman and Three Burials, which just a blind spot that I've always kind of like don't have time for because yeah, I'm 30. I would like that. It's funny. I remember watching the Siskel and Ebert review for Three Barrels or something. It sounded interesting then. <laughs> right, because I think it was his first movie directed, and so yeah. whenever there's an acclaimed actor who does that, there's always this buzz of, is this going to be an Oscar thing? And then I think people saw it and were like, the Oscars are not going to like this. It's yeah. mostly a dead body. <laughs> um, but I, Which is I, also what they said to Swiss Army Man. <laughs> the Oscars are not going to like this. Here's $4 million. Good yeah. luck. All right. The movie's great. All right, next up. So this one... Is a remake of a... True Grit? Yeah. Okay, cool. 
great. Drew gets Drew gets fun. It's a good movie. Really good. I've not seen the original. I think that one's. I think that's Jeff Bridges. It's one of the great sad Oscar things that Jeff Bridges won an Oscar, and then the year after that, this movie came out, and because this would have been like the Oscar movie for me. For him. Wait, as opposed to what? He Crazy Heart, which he's very good in. Right. It's a okay. really, really good performance. It's like True Grit, I think, is like one of those like classic Jeff Bridges performances. He's so, so good as, as a rooster. And like, it, I, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it's nice when like, you know, the actor wins an Oscar for the one that's like the one. You yeah, because we were talking about this in another episode about how... It was Jim some, Broadbent. Yeah, Jim, how sometimes yeah, they'll... It's this weird thing. I never know how much of it is just kind of like personifying a group of people and giving them a personality right. which cuz they're not a unif- they're not a unified body that makes decisions together it's a no, lot of people it's a, i think they're up to 8000 now people and they're split up into their category you know like there's the actors branch who would not, people don't realize the actors nominate the actors but everyone votes on the winners but like direct not the directors yeah people and so nominate on. their own, people deal with their own categories until right. it gets to the yeah so like it's it's this weird thing where you yeah you're right you can't really like know what their vibe is it's but. not like it's a board of a company that is making d- decisions in unison but right. it does also feel that way sometimes right it, it's easy to personify them it they're like the, you know the million bees or whatever from the uh, rick and morty episode like there's they're all just buzzing together yeah um yeah i don't know i, I really love true grit i love the coen brothers i'd love to talk about them on the show yeah all um, right so one more right yep this one got two academy award nominations cinematography and supporting actor Oh, this one is assassination of Jesse James with a coward Robert. Ford. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I thought I'd see it at the top just because I think I see that movie on a lot of best of the decade lists because I think it really has its defenders. Yeah, it's I I remember it being very good. It's very slow. It's hard to watch, but not hard to watch in a bad way. It's just not really holding your hand at all. Right. It is like an art movie, like yeah. capital A R T art movie. Maybe some of the best cinematography I've like, ever seen in my life. Um, and yeah, Casey Affleck's very good. Brad Pitt's very, it's a movie that I don't think top to bottom scene to every scene works for me, but I think it's trying, it's really doing some interesting things. Uh, all day Andrew Dominic movies are like that for me. Like yeah. he's, he's so talented, but he's always like trying weird stuff. And like, that's why he's great. Yeah. I love that. Apparently he has a, a Marilyn Monroe movie that, um, um, that's filmed with like Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe. And oh, like, I've seen still like production stills from that. Yeah, the the rumor is and again, literally just saw it on Twitter, so don't take the train of salt. But he like basically it came in super weird, and whichever company like paid him to do it, or like why is this movie so weird? We just wanted a movie about Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> um, which is hilarious. Like if you've seen any movie by Andrew Dominic like that, like you know. Jesse James killing him softly, like even like the Nick the Nick Cave like concert doc he did is like super freaking weird. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is often the thing that studios will do by accident, which is they'll see a director get buzzy and they'll hire that person because they're they think, oh, we need this new voice, and then they see the dailies and they think, oh my god, what is this voice? Why is it so weird? And it's that's what you hired them for, right? It it's and uh, you they're all just hyped up on the talent, and then they're just like, wait, we hired this this baker. To, to make a sandwich for us and he's made us a cake what do we do yeah um uh, let's see you got any recs yeah so first time i'm going to recommend a video game oh um i just finished uh psychonauts 2 um I, i've spoken a lot about my the game psychonauts that's one of my all-time favorites the original the second one came out this past year very not quite as good as the original psychonaut it's like a platformer where you're a kid who sneaks away from runs away from the circus to join psychic camp because he's a psychic like like um psychic powers 
where they train the psychonauts who are like, you know, the police, they go around and do psychic stuff and go into people's minds and things. It's all very 90s Nickelodeon vibes, like very tongue in cheek. It, it's the guys who used to do those like point and click adventures. Really, really cool stuff. The whole idea is you go in someone's brain and the kind of person they are and the kind of stuff they're working through is like the level you work through. So it uses level design to like tell stories and also just fun and goofy and silly. This kind of kind of reminds me of Inception, the idea of physicalizing right. mental stuff going on in somebody's mind. But like Psychonauts is doing it in a way that, you know, very, very, um, you know, like there's a character who's like very repressed so his mind is just a cube. And then, <laughs> but every, he's fighting his repression so like sometimes the side of the cube will just burst out and like stuff like monsters that are themed as like the stuff he's repressing will like appear and you have to go and like tamp it down again. That's very fun. Yeah, it's I great. love that. Uh, All right. What about you? All right. For me, I'm going to say, so This American Life is a radio show and now available on podcast platform that I have loved for many, many years. But I'll say this one specific episode, the testosterone episode, interesting, is one of the best episodes of audio entertainment I've ever heard. Wow. Yeah. It's three stories about testosterone. First is a person who, because of a medical condition, stops producing any testosterone. And he talks about what his life was like then. And then the second segment is a woman who wanted to transition to become a man, but could not get testosterone replacement legally. So was taking who like uh, illegally like testosterone, bootleg testosterone and just got the dosage wrong, had five times the amount oh. of, of the average man and how that, what that was like. And then the third segment is just the entire staff of the show gets all their testosterone levels checked. And it is the funniest thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> So yeah, I, I check it out. It's really good. It has a lot of like really heartfelt, serious stories, mm-hmm. some very interesting stuff, and then just this really goofy, interesting power dynamic amongst the all of the staff of the show. And it's kind of a like kind of a dangerous move they made mm-hmm. that could have removed a lot of their interpersonal relationships, and they just went balls to the wall because they're this American life and they care about making good entertainment. Uh, that that sounds awesome. I, I've heard of the one of the woman who uh, took the dose of drawn testosterone before, mm-hmm. um, but that all that sounds really really interesting and super fun. Yeah. Um, also, I, I like that. I think our we both pivoted. I think we've never recommended a podcast or a video game before. Yeah. We're eventually we'll run out of objects out, of art out of genres. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're, I'm going to recommend a painting next time. <laughs> I'm going to recommend recommend a mural in downtown LA. Um, that's not a bad idea. We can do that. <laughs> I know. Or like experiences. <laughs> We're trying to be silly, but this is actually might be an interesting. I need to write some of this down. <laughs> Just vibes. I recommend vibes. Yeah. And if you do like vibes, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. Keep us. We, we, you know, we're enjoying this. We're live now. We this are is... actually live. This is the first episode we've recorded since we have gone live. It's been exciting. We've yeah. gotten, it's nice to have our friends support us. Yeah. So um, if you like the pod, go on your, you know, Apple podcast. Give us a five star rating. Write something if you if you could, um, and yeah, keep subscribing because I think that's all good analytics for us. And, and it's just nice for us to know we're talking to someone other than each other. Yeah, it's but, it's nice to just make things, but it's even nicer to make things that other people are listening to. Right, right. The thing is its own reward, but also validation is nice. Yeah, and also it's own <laughs> also validation is a much better <laughs> reward. reward. <laughs> all right, bye uh, forever. Goodbye forever. <laughs>